Carmen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing MAME. How are we doing? I hope this episode, the latest episode of The Musical Man, finds you well. I was honored to celebrate Benny's birthday before we started this recording session. He is 27 years old. We are so proud of our Ben Benny boy. He is so big. (laughs) You are a big, big grown boy, and we are so proud of you, Patty and I. I am so lucky to have Patty and Benny on my team, on my side. I am lucky to count them as friends. I'm going to speak for Benny, because Benny does not get on mic, but Benny told me that he was very happy with his his birthday present. I almost said wedding present, but that's because it is a combination of... Birthday slash wedding present, of course. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you would know that Benny and his girlfriend have been engaged for a hot minute, and so I decided to get Benny something that he could use for his wedding day, potentially. I'm not saying you have to wear these. I'm not saying you have to wear these. I got Benny two sets of cufflinks. That's right. One set that's very, you know, classy, grown-up, big boy Benny cufflinks, and then another pair that's fun. Because here's something you didn't know about Benny until right now. Benny is a huge fan of Snoopy the Beagle from Charles Schultz's Peanuts. Snoopy the dog. And so I got Benny a second set of cufflinks that are beautiful little Snoopy cufflinks. And so I said to him, look, you don't have to do this, but consider wearing the fancy grown-up big boy Benny cufflinks during the ceremony, and then during the reception, you can change into the Snoopy cufflinks because they're more casual, more fun. Benny seems to be quite pleased. I know he's a fan of the Snoop, the real Snoop Dogg, the original Snoop Dogg. So happy birthday to you again, Benny. And now we have to look forward to, what do we have to look forward to, Patty? You know what we're talking about, Patty. Do not Blanche, do not blush. Patty's birthday is coming up on February 3rd. Ha 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 ha. And now I have to think about her present. Oh, goodness gracious. What other news do we have to address? Oh, here we go. Okay, so we have a CPC suggestion, a cream pie cutie club suggestion from Elena. Thank you, Elena. Elena suggested Claiborne Elder of Bonnie and Clyde, Sunday in the Park with George, Torch Song, and Company. I say yes to that suggestion. I looked up Clay. Born elder online and yummy, yummy, yummy in my tum tum tummy. He can throw me on my back and turn me into a cream pie any day. So, Claiborne, congratulations. You are the latest member of the CPCC, the Cream Pie Cutie Club. You will have to get in line behind Mr. Peanut, but then again, everybody will have to get in line behind Mr. Peanut because Mr. Peanut, he gets first dibs on me, okay? No sloppy seconds for Mr. Peanut. Uh, 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 uh. He's a sloppy lover himself, but he gets no sloppy seconds, okay? 
okay? All right, so let's get the show facts regarding MAME. Show me the show facts. All right, we're doing it. Let's do it. MAME was a 1966 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on May 24th, 1966 at the Winter Garden Theater before transferring to the Broadway Theater in October 1969. The show ran for a total of 1,508 performances, making it the 62nd longest-running show in Broadway history. The 61st is Dreamgirls with 1,521 performances, and the 63rd is the 1994 revival of Grease with 1,505 performances. The Book of Mame was written by Jerome Lawrence and Robert E. Lee, and the music and lyrics were written by Jerry Herman. The show is based on the 1955 novel Anti-Mame by Patrick Dennis, which had previously been adapted into a play in 1956 by none other than Jerome Lawrence and Robert E. Lee. The play starred Rosalind Russell, who would go on to star in the 1958 film version, written by Betty Comden and Adolph Green. Hello, Betty. Hello, Adolph. The success of the novel, play, and film led to the creation of the musical, as well as a sequel to the novel, Around the World with Auntie Mame. Patrick Dennis also wrote Little Me, the intimate memoirs of that great star of stage, screen, and television, Bella Patrine, which itself was adapted into a Broadway musical in 1962. The director of the original Broadway production of Mame was Gene Sachs. The musical director was Donald Pippin. The choreographer was Ona White. Scene designed by William and Gene Eckhart. Lighting designed by Theron Musser. Theron Musser? Oh, we've seen you before, Musser. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing either your first or your last name. We do not have a sound designer, but we have a costume designer, Robert McIntosh, and the original Broadway cast included Angela Lansbury. All right, I have a few show facts, a few tidbits of trivia for you regarding Angela Lansbury. The role of Mame was initially offered to Mary Martin and a number of other actresses before landing on Lansbury's doorstep. She had three Broadway credits under her belt at that time. Two plays, Hotel Paradise, and A Taste of Honey, and one musical, Stephen Sondheim's Anyone Can Whistle. Jerry Herman fought to hire Judy Garland after Lansbury left the show, but producers deemed the Wizard of Oz star a liability. Uh-oh. Actresses who did step in for the title role included Celeste Holm of All About Eve, Gentleman's Agreement, and the original 1943 production of Oklahoma, Janice Page of the original 1954 production of The Pajama Game, Jane Morgan, who produced 32 albums over the course of her career, and Anne Miller, whose film credits include Easter Parade and David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. A completely new tap sequence was added to MAME to specifically showcase Anne Miller's skills as a dancer. On a related note, Annie Mamulo, who co-wrote Bridesmaids and the forthcoming Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar with Kristen Wiig, was working on a modern-day adaptation of Patrick Dennis's novel as recently as 2016, with Tilda Swinton set to star. Tilda Swinton. There has not been a single update for that project since 2016. Okay, so back to the Broadway cast of MAME, okay? We have Beatrice Arthur, aka B. Arthur. I had no idea. Side note, I had no idea B. Arthur played Yenta in the original 1964 production of Fiddler on the Roof, and I've listened to that album a lot. I am learning right alongside you. Okay, so who else do we have in the MAME cast? 
cast. We have Jane Connell, Frankie Michaels, Willard Waterman, John C. Becker, Charles Braswell, George Coe, Diane Coupe, Clifford Furl, Margaret Hall, Charlotte Jones, Randy Kirby, ooh, Randy Kirby, Jerry Lanning, Michael Malland, Ruth Ramsey, Saab Shimono, John Taliaferro, John Taliaferro, Deanna Walker, and Ron Young. In terms of Tony Nods, the original production of MAME won Best Actress in a Musical, Angela Lansbury, Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Frankie Michaels, and Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Beatrice Arthur. It was additionally nominated for Best Musical, Best Composer and Lyricist, Jerry Herman, Best Scenic Design, William and Jean Eckhart, Best Choreography, Ona White, and Best Direction of a Musical, Jean Sachs. So in total, we have eight nominations and three awards at the end of the evening. All right. It's been far too long since we've had a character relay the plot of their musical. And considering this icon has already recorded a 5678 coffee ad for us, I knew it was imperative to bring her back today. Without further ado, here's Mame! Ah, hello, my darling doves! It's me, Auntie Mame! <laughs> I popped out of an enormous pink cake! Wasn't that divine? Not to worry, there isn't a dot of frosting to be found on my scandalous outfit. This cake is for you, Mr. Birthday Benny Big Boy Benny. I baked it myself. You're welcome. The secret to my recipe is to add just a little bit of cinnamon. Just a little bit of cinnamon. <laughs> I see someone has set up a ladder for me. Consider it, though, unnecessary. Anti-mame may be getting up there in years, but she still has a spring in her step. Watch this, children. Hop! <laughs> I did a backflip out of the cake. I'm wearing nine-inch heels, and you'll find there is not a hair out of place. But enough about me. Let's talk about Patrick. Patrick Dennis is the love of my life. We first met when he was a mere ten years old, shortly after his father passed away. Oh, I despise death. That a child could lose their father at such a young age. It makes my blood. Blood boil! Oh, I was the only relative Patrick had in this world, and so I took him in without hesitation. Now, you must understand, I was in no way prepared for motherhood. No, no, no! This was back in the 1920s, when I was an especially wild and frivolous beast. <laughs> no one partied like Auntie Mame. Papa was a rolling stone. But I loved Patrick immediately and immediately. Immensely, I made it my mission to show him everything this world has to offer, and that did not sit well with one Dwight Babcock. Talk about a wet mop. You see, Patrick's father specified in his will that the boy ought to have a conservative education, and if Dwight Babcock loved anything, it was following rules to the letter. I had zero interest in sending Patrick to some uptight institution for knocks and pissants. Children should be allowed to express themselves free of embarrassment or restraint, and so I enrolled him in Ralph Devine's Laboratory of Life, a highly experimental
fundamental and fascinating curriculum. I believe Patrick would have done well there, but when Dwight found out he erupted like Mount Vesuvius, I tried to set things right, but before I knew it, my Patrick had been shipped off to boarding school. Boarding school. The word board is in the name. I was a train wreck without Patrick, but losing him was only the tip of the iceberg. The stock market crash of 29 left me penniless, and I was forced to enter the workforce with nothing but a sunny disposition to my name. Everyone kept asking for a resume, and I never got a straight answer as to what that was. What is a resume? Is that French for something? Vera Charles oh, was a godsend during that period of my life. Vera is one of my oldest friends, and I do emphasize oldest as I believe she was a dusty 80 million years old back in 1929. A salty cuss, a drunkard through and through, but she saw I was in trouble and arranged for me to appear in one of her silly operettas, I thought to myself. Auntie Mame, an actress in an operetta, treading the boards seven nights a week to rabid, rabid applause. It sounded like a hoot. Hoot, hoot! Let me tell you, it was not a hoot. Vera became quite upset with my performance and I was fired on the spot. You can ask her all about it. I'm sure she would love a reason to complain. Those were very dark days for Auntie Mame. I recall the servants saying, don't worry, Mame. We can pay the bills with the money we saved for a rainy day. It was a relief to be sure, but when your servants are keeping the lights on, that's when you know you're in trouble. What the devil were their names again? The servants. Oh, come, 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 come. What were they? Oh, Agnes Gooch and Ito. Yes, that's right, of course. Wonderful people, the best. Agnes became preposterously pregnant, did she not? To whom am I talking? The thing about Auntie Mame is that she is always opening a new window. One day I opened a window to find Beauregard, Jackson, Pickett, Burnside, staring back at me. Oh, what a man! A stallion among ponies! We fell for each other instantly. Was he rich? Surely. Did I care? No, not at all. Did he make love like a Viking? Surely. Did I care? Yes, very much so. There were complications, of course. Loving a man is easy. Loving his friends and family, that's another matter entirely. Bo came from a long, long line of southern millionaires, and as a Yankee, they were suspicious of me. Sally Cato, especially. She and Bo had apparently been engaged, quote-unquote, back in their halcyon, salad, golden days, and Sally was not prepared to give up the goat. I'll never forget how she spoke to me during our visit. Oh, how to do, man? Would you care to join us for the fox hunt? Durf, 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 durf. No manners. No manners at all. Well, nobody backs Mame into a corner. Not only did I participate in the fox hunt, I captured the fox alive to great acclaim. Ha ha ha! Yay, we love you, Mame! I was the belle of the ball. I also got very drunk on mint juleps. Let me make something perfectly clear. Despite my whirlwind romance with Bo, I never lost contact with Patrick. He 
came to visit me every Christmas. We always wrote to each other, and not a day went by when I did not miss him. Then, without warning, the little boy I loved had suddenly become a man. He calls me up out of the blue and says, Auntie Mame, you'll never believe it. I'm engaged to a lovely girl named Gloria Upson. Would you like to meet her, Auntie Mame? Would you like to meet her family, Auntie Mame? And I thought, why, certainly. What else do I have going on? Bo had recently fallen to his death while climbing the Matterhorn, so I certainly needed the distraction. You know, people are far too nosy when it comes to the whole Matterhorn incident, by the way. We were hiking blind through a tempest of snow, and Bo happened to slip. What else is there for me to say? Shall I describe how Bo screamed? How the sound of his screaming rang in my ears for months? I should think not. A widow is entitled to some amount of privacy. Where was I? Oh, right. <laughs> I hated Gloria Upson. I'm being unfair. She was a frivolous nothing of a girl, a real featherless dodo. But her parents talk about your Cracker Barrel country bigots. So nasty. So gleefully, gleefully racist. To this day, I have no idea what Patrick saw in the Upsons. Had he learned nothing from our adventures? I taught Patrick to be open-minded, open-hearted, and here he was sucking the scum off his future father-in-law's boots. I could have killed Mr. Upson. He said to me, Mime, take a gander at that plot of land over there, over yonder. Know what I'm gonna do with it? I could hardly conceal my disinterest. He said, I'm gonna buy it up and build a house for Patrick and Gloria. We've been meaning to buy the land anyway. Gotta keep out the blacks and the Mexicanos, am I right, Mame? The Blacks and the Mexicanos. This is how Mr. Upson spoke to me. He thought we were on the same team. You may be wondering, what about Bo's family? Were they not racist? To be frank, I had never thought about it until today. Oh, how embarrassing. I'm sure their hands were far from clean, but no one ever said anything outwardly racist. Oh, that's not true. That's not true, Mame. There was quite a lot of talk about the South Rising again, and God knows that can only mean one thing. Looking back, it's clear I chose to remain silent so as to avoid rocking the boat. Perhaps that's what Patrick was doing with his future in-laws? I probably should have kept all of this in mind before I snapped at Mr. Upson. But snap I did. I let loose a tirade of mythic proportions. I made it clear where he and his sloppy wife and his simple daughter stood in my eyes. And when it was all over, Patrick looked at me as... As if I was a stranger. <laughs> but I wasn't through with my Patrick, not by a long shot. Someone had to rest him, rest him from his awful stupor. And so I set my mind to scheming. I said, please forgive your silly Auntie Mame. Bring your dainty fiance and her adorable parents to my house for an engagement party. Don't worry, only the finest of people will be in attendance. No blacks or Mexicanos. 
Did I make sure to invite every friend of color I had? Surely. Did I also buy the land Mr. Upson had sought for himself? Surely. But for what purpose? Why, the Burnside Memorial Home for single mothers. That's right. Mr. and Mrs. Upson, say hello to your new neighbors, many of whom are not white. <laughs> the Upsons were predictably horrified beyond belief. They left with Gloria in tow, and Patrick was forced to face the truth that he had chosen poorly. There's nothing wrong with that. We all make mistakes. Uh, speaking of mistakes, Bo's family really did traffic in some not altogether subtle racial coding. Note to self, address all of this while journaling in the tub later tonight. Auntie Mame needs to examine the extent of her complicity. Ito, don't forget to run my bath later. Everything turned out splendidly in the end. Patrick fell head over heels for my decorator, Miss Ryan, and they wound up having a son of their own, Stephen. What a darling dove of a boy. I said to Stephen on the day he turned ten, I said, Stephen, it's high time you met the world. And so off we went to have our own adventures. I do have to sally forth, I'm afraid. Auntie Mame has nearly a dozen Zoom calls on her schedule today, and she must know not keep our fans waiting. Chow, my rosebud, and please do not forget about me this Christmas. I would have loved to record another coffee ad for you, but my phone never rang. Do I forgive you? Surely. Enjoy the cake, Mr. Benny, and be sure to think of me when that little bit of cinnamon, that little bit of cinnamon hits the back of your throat. Ah, <laughs> wink, wink. See you in the funny papers. Mame, out. Bye, Mame. See you later. <laughs> For the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 1966 original Broadway cast album of Mame. I also watched a couple of Tony Award performances. One is from 1971. That is a performance of the song Open a New Window by Angela Lansbury. The theme for this ceremony was 25 years of Tony winning musicals. What a broad theme. But from what I can tell, the theme should have been we're doing our best with the lighting, okay? Frank is in the middle of a nasty divorce and he's been our guy in the booth for years. You want me to break his heart a second time? So what if there was a complete blackout during the intro? So what if Angela's spotlight was all over the place? Like, you're so great, you're not even union, you scab! I admit this would be a hard theme to fit onto a banner or a poster, but there you go. Nearly everyone in the comments is obsessed with Lansbury's high kicks, the comments on YouTube, I should say, and I can't say I blame them. Every kick is slightly higher than the last, and by the end of the performance, she's practically kissing her own ankles. She'll give you a ha and a ha-ya, and then she'll kick you, sir. Before I get to the second Tony Awards performance that I I watched this week, I do want to talk about the 1974 film adaptation of MAME, which stars Lucille Ball, B. Arthur, and Robert Preston. I've seen the movie once before and considered watching it a second time, 
But every atom in my body rallied against that notion. In lieu of a rewatch, I combed through the film's history, which is depressing. According to Angela Lansbury, Lucille Ball visited her backstage during a performance of MAME and was highly complimentary, going so far as to say Lansbury was a shoe-in as far as the movie was concerned. She would later spy Lucille Ball in the wings taking notes. In that moment, Lansbury knew Warner Brothers would never cast her in the film, and she has held a grudge against the studio ever since. I have no idea why Lucille Ball wanted to make the movie in the first place. She was deeply uncomfortable when it came to singing and dancing, and would go on to describe the production thusly, quote, it was about as much fun as watching your house burn down. Quote, this was after Mame sank like a stone with audiences and critics alike, and upon seeing the reviews, Ball vowed to never make another picture. But my question stands, why did she agree to do this? Why did she contribute $5 million of the film's $12 million budget on the condition that she be considered for the lead? If you believe the internet movie database, Ball had seen 1958's Anti-Mame and resented Rosalind Russell for stealing her I Love Lucy persona. So I suppose the answer to my question is spite? She did the movie out of sheer spite? Now let's talk about B. Arthur, who only agreed to reprise the role of Vera Charles because her husband, Gene Sachs, was directing the movie. He also directed the original Broadway production, as we noted a moment ago. Arthur deeply regretted the decision to do the movie, writing off Ball as being miscast and the entire enterprise as a, quote, tremendous embarrassment, quote, my hot take? If they weren't going to cast Lansbury in the role of Mame, B. Arthur should have been offered the role of Mame. Maud, a spinoff of All in the Family that focused on Arthur's breakout character, had been on the air since 1972. She was a nationally recognized figure who could sell tickets. Granted, Arthur would have likely refused to take the spotlight once held by her Broadway co-star, Angela Lansbury, but I stand by my assessment. B. Arthur would have been a fabulous big screen anti-mame. Oh, but we're not done. Not by a long shot. Jerry Herman begged, begged the executives at Warner Brothers to choose Lansbury over Ball, but they ignored his wishes. Everyone is ignoring Jerry's wishes. Judy Garland, maybe? No, Jerry, go away. Angela Lansbury, maybe? No, Jerry, go away. The Warner Brothers decision, combined with the box office failure of 1969's Hello, Dolly, led Herman to stipulate that any future adaptations of his work would require his direct involvement and approval. Audiences would not see another Herman musical on screen until 1993, when Bette Midler starred in the television remake of Gypsy. The success of that film stoked interest in a TV version of MAME, and while a number of actresses were considered, including Bette Midler, Barbara Streisand, Cher, and Whoopi Goldberg, the project never came to fruition. P.S. I find it fascinating how the chief criticisms of the Dolly and Mame films are similar yet opposed. They're both rooted in the age of the lead actress. Barbara was too young to play Dolly. Lucy was too old to play Mame. Perhaps Warner Brothers took the wrong lesson from Dolly's failure at the box office and swung too far in the other direction when it came to casting. It's clear audiences do not like young women. 
women. We need an old woman. What I'm saying is that Hollywood is and has always been filled with stupid people. Okay, now let's talk about the second Tony Awards performance I watched. This is from 1987. This is a reunion performance for B. Arthur and Angela Lansbury. They are singing Bosom Buddies. This performance routinely made the rounds when I was in college, and it warms my heart, the cockles of my heart to this day. Lansbury is decked out like Mae West, and Arthur looks like every mother of the bride who would love to receive a compliment from your old college roommate, but would never think to ask for one outright. And what about that audience? You have to love a crowd that bursts into applause at the sight of two older women pulling off the most basic of dance steps. Holy shit! Is that a kickball change? Truly, these are the best of times. Open a new window, open a new door, travel a new highway that's never been tried before. Before you find you're a dull fellow, punching the same clock, walking the same tightrope as everyone on the block. The fella you want to be is three-dimensional, soaking up life down to your toes. Whenever they say you're slightly unconventional, just put your thumb up to your nose and show them how to dance to a new rhythm, whistle a new song, toast with a new vintage. The fizz doesn't fizz too long. There's only one way to make the bubble stay. Simply travel a new highway, dance to a new rhythm, open a new window every I've been wrestling with a difficult decision as of late, one I hope to talk about in the future, and is unrelated to the podcast. But if anything served as my wake-up call, it was open a new window. Thank you, Mr. Herman, Mr. Herman, from the bottom of my soul, as I really did need to hear these words again. Open a new window, open a new door, travel a new highway that's never been tried before. Before you find you're a dull fellow punching the same clock, walking the same tightrope as everyone on the block. The fellow you ought to be is three-dimensional, soaking up life down to your toes. Auntie Mame is right. The last thing I want to be is some dime store desk jockey who can't imagine a better life for himself. What is the point of living if we can't take a daring leap into the unknown every once in a while? I have to open a new window. More updates to come, fair listeners. More updates to come. I may be the only one who makes the following connection. And if that's true, I want to plant a seed in the ear of every listener and potentially drive them batty. For whatever reason, my brain is tying open a new window with a song from Hello Dolly, that being motherhood. Here is the bridge I keep building. The fella you want to be is three-dimensional. Stand up and march, march, march. My dearest hope is that none of you will be able to avoid making this connection in the future. I place a curse on you! Let us now compare Angela Lansbury's vocals with those of Lucille Ball. Audio ahoy! Open a new window, open a new door, travel a new highway that's never been tried before, before you find you're a dull fellow, punching the same clock. Open a new window, 
Open a new door Travel a new highway That's never been tried before Before you find you're a dull fellow Punching the same clock Walking the same tightrope As everyone on the block The fellow you ought to be Is three-dimensional Soaking up life Down to your toes Whenever they say you're slightly unconventional Just with your thumb Up to your nose And show them how to dance to a new rhythm Pulling Lucille Ball's audio is what convinced me to forego a rewatch of the movie. I assumed the mix on this track would be better if I streamed it through a major platform like Amazon or Apple Music, but as it turns out, the mix really is that bad. No offense to Lucy, we love Lucy, and I'm sure she did everything she could, but there's no competing with the likes of Angela Lansbury. You lost the race before it even began, Lucy. Oh, Vera, I can't wait to hear that overture. Tell me about the show. Well, well, it's this terribly modern operetta about a lady astronomer who makes a universe-shaking discovery. I have a little secret I'd like to impart that I hope doesn't give you too much of a start. Though it's shocking, it's completely true. I know it isn't gossip or rumor, of course, for I've had it from quite a reliable source, and I'd like to pass it on to you. The man in the moon is a lady, a lady. With lipstick and curls The cow that jumped over Cried, who jumping Jehovah I think it's just one of the girls She winks at the stars From her bed of green cheese That isn't a nightgown, it's a Saturn chemise. Oh, her friends are the stars and the planets. She sends the Big Dipper a kiss. So don't ever offend. Remember her gender The man in the moon Is a miss (laughs) 
The man in the moon is so well calibrated and gracefully loony, a bullseye send-up of terrible theater that B. Arthur elevates to iconic status. If Maud was deserving of a sitcom spin-off, I'm here to say Vera Charles was deserving of her very own spin-off musical. Vera! You have to include the exclamation point in the title. Vera! I'm not entirely sure what this show would be about, though I believe we should use Noises Off and Kiss Me Kate as points of inspiration. Vera, having been cast in yet another troubled operetta, does her best to manage chaos both on and off stage. That's all I've got. I am willing to make room for Mame, but her cameo must be brief. Vera is strictly a B. Arthur vehicle, and I won't have anyone messing with her mojo. Now, to the time machine! Nothing you do is wrong. I'm proud you belong to me. And if a day is rough for me, having you there's enough for me. And if someday. Another girl comes along It won't take her long To see That I'll still be found Just hanging around My best and brave and strong. MAME features a handful of squeaky wheels that should be addressed if we are to ever see it revived once more. Most of these issues can be resolved with a simple edit. The reference to Amos and Andy and Bosom Buddies, for example, or the title song's stomach-churning notion that the South will rise again. Ito is a Chinese character whose accent is meant to drum up cheap laughs. We can fix that. Ito can be Chinese without being a stereotype. But what are we to do about Mame and Patrick's pseudo-romantic relationship as established in My Best Girl? Have I pointed out that it took me so long to realize that the author of the original novel, Patrick Dennis, that's the name of the little boy in this show? I don't know why he named the character after himself. This dynamic has an incredible impact on the trajectory of the show. It's practically inescapable, and I find it to be unpleasant. Name is a grown woman. Patrick is a ten-year-old boy. I am not interested in hearing them whisper sweet nothings while staring into each other's eyes. I hate that shit. The idea that no woman could ever come between a boy and his mother, or in this case, his aunt. Hitchcock eviscerated that notion with Psycho in 1960, so why did we find it wholesome in 66? Dump it, start over. My notes can also be applied to the song If He Walked Into My Life, in which Mame talks about Patrick as if he were a former lover who walked out on her. No, boo, bad, start over. 
up the tree before my spirit falls again. Fill up the stocking. I may be rushing things, but deck the halls again now. For we need a little Christmas right this very minute. Candles in the window, carols at the spirit. Yes, we need a little Christmas right this very minute. It hasn't snowed single flurry but Santa dear we're in a hurry so climb down the chimney put up the brightest string of lights I've ever seen slice up the fruitcake it's time we hung some tinsel on that evergreen bow for I've grown a little leaner grown a little colder grown a little sadder grown a little compared the melody line of We Need a Little Christmas to Hello Dolly's It Takes a Woman all the way back in episode 62, so there's no need to go over that again. What I did not get into is how We Need a Little Christmas lines up perfectly with Aaron's and Flaherty's Learn to Do It. That's right, I'm building another bridge, and this time we are traveling between Mame and Anastasia. Actually, at the risk of being laughably anal in regards to my own show, I would like to stop and take a moment to say this. Having revisited episode 62, I'm concerned people would have walked away believing Dolly premiered on Broadway after MAME, which is not true. Dolly premiered in 64 and MAME premiered in 66, so it's easy to see how certain melodies would have appeared in both shows. We Need a Little Christmas is superior to It Takes a Woman, a clear example of Herman building upon his past work to achieve even greater success. But overall, I would say Mame fully resides in Dolly's shadow. There, that should do the job of articulating how I feel while also making sure we get the facts right. The show facts. You have no idea how much I agonize over some of this language. Sometimes I get a headache. All right, enough of my dithering. Let's cross that bridge. You have to allow me these indulgences. I can't be alone in this. Walking the streets as the only person with this mashup in their skull? I curse you. I curse you all is what I do. We Need a Little Christmas is 100% the treat yourself anthem of 1966. And much like the messaging behind Open a New Window, we need to be taking it to heart. The rules of the calendar have not, do not, and will never apply to those who are in need of good cheer. If you find you're already missing Christmas, drag those decorations out of the attic and do it all over again. There are no rules! If you don't celebrate Christmas, find out what would make your day brighter and pursue it without reservation or insecurity or guilt or shame. Let's be real. Have we not all grown a little leaner, colder, sadder, and older over this past year? We need, nay, deserve Christmas in whatever form it may take. 
Treat yourself! You've brought the cakewalk back into style. You make the weeping willow tree smile. Your skin is Dixie satin. There's rebel in your manner and your speech. You may be from Manhattan, but Georgia never had a sweeter peach. You make the whole magnolia tree bud. You make camellias bloom in the mud. You make the bougainvillea turn purple at the mention of your name. aside Herman's line about the South rising again, which is surely meant as a joke, even if it doesn't have the form or cadence of one, Mame is a perfectly fine juggernaut of a first act finale. The song may not hold a candle to Dolly's title number, but Herman's diminishing returns are more entertaining than 90% of Broadway's output, so I'll hold off on leveling any further critiques. What I really get a kick out of is when the company turns Mame into a two syllable word. Mame! Mame! What a goofy vamp. What listeners may not remember about this number is the proto-rap section? Lord knows I forgot about it. Let's hear a little hunk of that, followed by audio from the title song of Strauss and Adam's Applause. Or shut my mouth and freeze my face. You brought some elegance to the place. There's solidly harmony, catfish and tripe. Mame! Well, shut my mouth and damn my eyes You made the price of tobacco rise The old watermelon is suddenly ripe Maine Applause, applause It's wonderful applause, wonderful applause Beautiful, soaring, magnificent roar It's better than pop, it's better than booze A shout of applause will stand out the blues Whatever you do, you better be gone. You're doing it to the beat of applause And nothing can beat the beat of applause Applause premiered on Broadway four years after MAME, and there is no way Strauss did not see MAME at least once, so I'm calling shenanigans on him. Shenanigans. Though now and again I'm aware that my candid opinion may sting. Though often my frank observation might scold. I've been meaning to tell you for years, you should keep your hair natural like mine. If I kept my hair natural like yours, I'd be bald. But, darling, we'll always be dear companions, my crony. of styles as far off as your youth it's simply that who else but a somebody will tell you the whole stinking truth each time that a critic has written your voice is the voice of a frog straight to your side to defend you I rush 
that I'm there every time that the world makes an unkind remark. When they say Vera Charles is the world's greatest lush, it hurts me. And if I say your fangs are showing, maim pull in your claws, it's simply that. Who else but a bosom buddy will notice the obvious flaws? I feel it's my duty to tell you it's time to adjust to your age. You try to be peg of my heart when you're Lady Macbeth. Exactly how old are you, Vera? The truth. How old do you think? Oh, I'd say somewhere in between 40 and death. But sweetie, I'll always be Alice Toklas if you'll be Gertrude Stein. And though I'll admit I've dished you, I've gossiped and gloated, but I'm so devoted. And if I say that sex and guts made you into a star, it's simply that who else but a bosom buddy will tell you how rotten you are. Just turn to your bosom buddy for aid and affection, for help and direction, for loyalty, love, and for soon. Remember that who else but a bosom buddy will send out The 1987 Tony Awards performance of Bosom Buddies, which we spoke about a moment ago, feels a tad rushed compared to the version we find on the OBC album, especially when it comes to a certain pregnant pause. I'm talking about the pause we get in the wake of, oh, somewhere between 40 and death. The pause on the album is appropriately chasm-like. I live for that pause. And when you watch the 87 performance, the pause is nearly non-existent. Who cares about adhering to a strict broadcast schedule when B. Arthur could be holding that stony gargoyle expression of hers for upwards of 10 seconds? To push through the pause is a crime. In general, Bosom Buddies should clock in at like 7 minutes in length, bare minimum, I want seven minutes followed by an encore. This is the high watermark of the show, and I never want it to end. Would you rather listen to Taylor Swift sing about some guy she kissed at the hardware store, or B. Arthur and Angela Lansbury holding knives to each other's throats? We will not be hearing any of Gucci's song. That's the name of the song, as it is a tiresome character piece few would find funny in this, the 21st century. See, Agnes Gooch used to be a neurotic old maid, and when she took Mame's advice about treating life like a banquet, she wound up pregnant. Pregnant! Ah, people thought this was funny? Were these people intelligent? 
I only bring this number up because I need to understand why it is called Gooch's song and not What Do I Do Now. Agnes repeats this line nearly half a dozen times, so how did we land on Gooch's song? I hate that name. Gooch! Ugh. According to Dictionary.com, a reputable site if ever there was one, Gooch is slang for the perineum or the area between the anus and the genitals. If you're living in the Laguna Beach area of Southern California, you may also hear Gooch used as slang for excellent, are we feeling educated yet, five-star reviews only, please. I have the feeling that time has halted. I'd like two straws and a chocolate malt because that's how young I feel. I feel like pecking and bunny hugging and Lindy hopping and jitterbugging because that's how young I feel. I'm mad for that big bad beat. Wanna ride in a rumble seat? Shell's got the Chevy, love a face full of frozen custard to have a hot dog with sand and mustard and ride the Ferris wheel. Oh, honey, cause that's how young I feel. I'm ready to does MAME need a number like That's How Young I Feel when it already has It's Today, Open a New Window, We Need a Little Christmas, and the title song? There are only so many times your main character can pick up a baton and lead a parade down Main Street before I start to suffer from lethargy. Dolly has the same problem, though to a much lesser extent. I'm willing to keep pace with Dolly. I'm in good hands with her. MAME simply doesn't know when to quit, and That's How Young I Feel proved to be my breaking point. All right, Mame, party's over. Get out of my house. As we wind down our deconstruction of this week's score, I would like to highlight a few of the bonus tracks found on the OBC album. Here's a bit of Camouflage, a song cut from the show that's all about transforming Mame into the portrait of motherhood. Jerry Herman plays Mame, and his longtime friend Alice Borden plays Vera Charles. Oh, Vera, how can you make a sow's ear of the silk purse? Keep thinking Stella Dallas and Sarah Bernhardt. It always comes out Clara Bow. Say, oh, my baby. Oh, my baby. You've still got two acts to go. The bell rings. Mr. Babcock is downstairs. All right, Vera. Anything, everything. This is war. Camouflage. I'll put all of my trust in camouflage. Music goes wild, accelerating as they haul out dresses and hair switches, trying to transform Mame into instant motherhood. They get a dress on Mame. There are scissors off the underhanging sleeves and spangles. Vera, I've got stage fright. Just think, Mother Hubbard and Mother Nature and even Mother of the Free. Mother Ninja and Mother Russia. Here comes Mother McCree from afar. I might even get by the D-A-R. Well, I'm ready. Oh, Vera, you're a love. I'll try and be the mother of us all. Isn't it great hearing Borden read stage directions aloud? It's like you're a potential investor sitting 10 feet from the piano. Now let's hear Herman and Borden sing the title number. You've got the just drumming and plugging out a tune to beat the band. 
the whole plantation's almonds since you brought Dixie back to Dixieland. You make our black eyed peas and our grits. is the same your special fascinational proved to be inspirational we think you're just sensational these two are having the time of their lives and i could not admire them more i wish i could have been in that room are you kidding me all right that's all we have for you in terms of the score we are now going to hear from our fine sponsor five six seven eight coffee take it away five six seven eight It's me, Mr. Peanuts. I, uh, I was asked to come in and talk about 5678 Coffee, but, you know, I just, I can't. I'm too distracted. I'm thinking about all of the people who love me and how much I, uh, how much I just love them. I love love, you know? <laughs> I'm a real fancy guy, but I'm not a snob. I have a top hat, I have a monocle, I have a cane, but I'm just like you, you know? I'll come over to your studio apartment. I'll have a lean cuisine. Who cares? It's just, at the end of the day, all I care about is love and how we express that. For example, I love five, six, seven, eight coffee. I think it's, I think it's hot. I think it's steamy. I think it's Ooh, <laughs> I think it's, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, in 2006, planters conducted an online contest to determine whether to add a bow tie, cufflinks, or a pocket watch to my overall ensemble. And would you believe it, the public voted for no change whatsoever. They did not want me to change. <laughs> and I gotta say, I don't want them to change either. I don't want this coffee to change either. <laughs> uh -oh, I'm starting to yelp. I'm getting a little, oh, getting a little rough. <laughs> yeah, you like that, don't you? Yes, you do. Oh my god, yeah. So uh, here's the thing. Five, six, seven, eight coffee. You can count on it to be hot <laughs> and steamy. <laughs> and uh, and mm, and uh, oh god yes it's gonna be fantastic Ooh, we are gonna have so much five six seven eight coffee after we are done with each other is it okay if i say this on the air it's gonna get weird <laughs> it's gonna get real freaking weird it's gonna get real fucking weird i'm gonna come over and we are gonna have sex and i'm gonna have sex with you and it's gonna be great and then afterwards we are gonna have five six seven eight coffee and we are gonna talk about the sex that we had you're gonna tell me your life story. I'm going to tell you mine. Oh my god, I'm new money. I'm new money. Oh, okay. Five, six, seven, eight coffee. I gotta go. Oh, you can count on it. Oh, you can count on it. Oh, you can count on it. I'm a giant peanut. I'm a giant peanut with hands. <laughs> and I'm going to use them.
Final thoughts regarding MAME. I went on a wild ride with MAME, I must say. At times, I found the show to be totally uplifting and uproarious, inspiring even, but when all was said and done, I was left feeling surprisingly cold. MAME simply isn't my musical theater matriarch of choice. That distinction goes to Dolly, and no one is going to be taking that from her anytime soon. Thank you very much. When it comes to songs about embracing life, put on your Sunday clothes, beats the pants off of Open a New Window. When it comes to title numbers, Hello Dolly makes MAME look like reheated leftovers. And when it comes to characters, those featured in Dolly are much more endearing than the oddballs found in MAME. The only characters I want to hear from in MAME are MAME and Vera. Everyone else can kick rocks. Patrick Bo Gooch? Ugh. Now, in 1966, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Man of La Mancha, and the additional nominees that season were Skyscraper and Sweet Charity. I am going to say this right now, Man of La Mancha deserves to keep its Tony Award for Best Musical, okay? You get to keep the medallion, man, you Man of La Mancha. All right, let's move on. Let's rank Mame against all of the other musicals we have talked about here on the podcast. As always, if you want to check out this ranking of ours, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod, go to our likes section. The first tweet you find there, if you click on it, it'll take you to a Google Sheet. The second tab will give you all of the information you need in regards to our ranking. So where did I put MAME on this list? Well, I put it at number 39 between The Mystery of Edwin Drood at number 38 and Once on This Island at at number 40. Will it remain there? Who knows? We make changes all the time. But for now, MAME is number 39, baby. I have a few pieces of show-related ephemera for you, it's true. First, we're going to hear the 1966 Louis Armstrong cover of MAME. Let's hear that now. You folks, the blues right out on MAME. You the huts right off of the con. Drumming, out a tune to beat the band. You got the whole place humming since you brought Dixie back to Dixieland. You make your Louis feel like a king, man. You make the world be living and swing, man. You make the old magnolia tree blossom at the mention of your name. Your special fascination of proved to be inspirational. I think you just sensational, man. Bobby Darren and Herb Alpert also released covers of MAME in 1966, and all three versions of the song charted in both Canada and the United States. North America had MAME fever, I do say. Notably, the Armstrong cover makes no reference to the South rising again. I wonder why. For the record, I prefer Armstrong's cover of Hello, Dolly, but no one should be surprised by that. We get it, you're a Dolly man. The second piece of ephemera I have for you is a segment from a 1973 interview with Lucille Ball regarding the film adaptation of MAME. You know how word goes around this town fast. Word is around that your MAME 
may be one of the best musicals ever produced. Oh, thank God. They say... I'm so glad to hear that. I really am, because I had a, an absolute ball making it. I cannot believe... I cannot believe, because I made a lot of pictures with a lot of people. I've never been so happy. I've never been so pleased and proud. You sing, you dance? Sure, I sing it. Well, you huh? can't really call it singing, and you can't really call it dancing, but I'm out there doing what they asked me to do. Now, don't press me. <laughs> Someone suggested in a column here that it wasn't Lucy's voice in the picture, and you never saw such an uproar the next day in another well, column. That's because Warners felt very solid about what I had done. They liked what I had done, and it was a, it was a misquote. Uh, incidentally, the young lady who was uh, supposedly uh, doing my voice has a real right to sue. <laughs> you know, she has a lovely voice and a great career of her own. <laughs> this is no compliment to her. And the lady's name is Lisa Kirk, and she is not... Uh, dubbing my voice. She doesn't do that sort of thing. She has her own career and her own life, and she, this should not be uh, put upon her. Do you but like singing? Was I it, love it, but, it I, but I can't. I, I'm not good at it. It's very tough for me, but I did it, and there's no one to match this talking, this speaking voice, you see. Yeah. I'll bet it's sexy. Lord. Well, I don't know if it's sexy, but uh, the, the, the wonderful Jerry Herman uh, music oh, yeah. allows, uh, allows it to almost be uh, spoken. You know, you don't really have to know how to sing what about your dancing? Well, what about it? Yeah. <laughs> this aired something like three months before the movie was released, and she is already, she is already destroying expectations. Don't expect me to sing well. Don't expect me to dance well. Okay, it's gonna be a disaster. I hate myself. I feel so bad for her watching this interview. Oh yeah, yeah. And then finally, the third piece of ephemera I have for you today. This is a workout video from 1988. It's more of a, it's a combination workout video and motivational coach sort of session. I don't really know what they were going for overall. You may already be familiar with this. If you're an Angela Lansbury fan, I'm sure you have dipped into this. I can't imagine watching the whole thing, but here's some audio from Positive Moods. I think femininity and sexuality go hand in hand. It used to be thought that women lose interest in sex after menopause, but now we know that just isn't true. Obviously, both you and your partner are different than you were 30 years ago. But if you can accept the inevitable physical and other changes, you can keep romance in your life. I believe it's important for a woman to try and maintain a certain sense of mystery about herself. And I think that can continue to any age. It's so easy to give up or to get lazy it's worth it to continue to present yourself as a woman of loveliness and dignity. A woman who feels good and knows she's looking her best. She'll continue to attract attention as a feminine sexual person. The right kind of attention doesn't have to stop unless you want it to. If you're not familiar with this source, Lansbury is taking a bubble bath while delivering this monologue via voiceover. And she is, oh my God, she is feeling herself, literally and figuratively. She is rolling. 
It really does seem as if she took a tab, a dose of something before slipping into this red hot bubble bath and she is touching every inch of herself. She is in outer space vibing like an interdimensional crystal. Also, was that score by Vangelis? I'm getting a big-time Blade Runner vibe from that score. What a strange choice. <laughs> to determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rodgers and Hammerstein show, I Am TV. Everyone ready? Then away we go! Alrighty then, we have landed in the year 1978. This was a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 449 performances. Not bad, not bad. And that show is, do you know it? Huh? Do you know it? It's on the 20th century. That episode is going to drop February 3rd, okay? We're going to take a week off from the main feed so we can focus on producing the latest in our M3, the Movie Musical Man series. The latest episode, I should say. Go to patreon.com slash Musical Man Pod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Black Lives Matter organization. You can donate $1, 3 5 or $10 a month. If you donate $1 a month, you get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. You get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Thank you for donating at least $1 a month. Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You also get bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. Haha, <laughs> yes. Oh, but I'm not done. You also get season one, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, and access to the show I just mentioned a moment ago, M3, the movie musical man, for which we watch and discuss trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Our next episode will drop on January 27th, okay? The theme for this month is the R&R trilogy. R&R stands for rock and roll, okay? We're talking about Phantom of the Paradise, Voyage of the Rock Aliens, and Camp Rock. But let's say you donate $3 a month. What do you get then? Well, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You get season one, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the High School Musical Podcast, and you get a special one-off episode about Julie and the Phantoms. Let's say you donate $5 a month. You get everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. You also get seasons one and two, that's 24 episodes, of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You get access to our Broadway in Chicago review series and Shout About It, Volumes 1 and 2, that is a collection of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shout outs from the first 50 episodes of the podcast. And finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus the Snub Club Season 1, that's 12 episodes of a series for which 
we talked about Broadway musicals that were snubbed. They were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. And starting in April of this year, we are going to premiere a brand new $10 a month series known as Turn It Off, for which we will be talking about off-Broadway musicals. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to write a five-star review. We are trying to get 65 star reviews. We now have 35 because Elena wrote the first new five-star review of the brand new year. <laughs> the first new review of the brand new year. If we get to 65 star reviews, I will record and release a special episode all about Disney's Zombies franchise. It's true. You can also stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny for their amazing work and their amazing support. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo and Zach Little for our fabulous music. Oh, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night.